Trigger warning. The podcast you're about to listen to may contain sexual and violent acts committed against men, women, and children. If such acts offend you in any way, please do not listen any further. This podcast was made for an audience of 18 years and older and contains mature and explicit content. Also, this podcast may also contain a high level of profanity and explicit language. If such things offend you in any way, shape, or form, please do not listen to the podcast any further. This is your last trigger warning. If anything that I mentioned above offends you, please do not listen. Thank you. Warning. The cases that I talk about here are under the assumption that the individuals that are accused allegedly committed these crimes unless they have been convicted in court for the, tri- for the crimes that they have been charged with. This is by no means me making any kind of accusations whatsoever. I am simply commenting on news articles and stories that have been shared with me through individuals who may or may not have experienced these said stories. This is not fact. This is purely my opinion. Unless they have been through court and they have been convicted. Please understand that moving forward. Thank you. Hey everybody, this is Jeremy with the Manor Park Podcast. This podcast covers rape and pedophilia cases, as well as highlight organizations that make it their mission in this world to fight for children. I appreciate you clicking on to my podcast and listening to these episodes. I also have survivor interviews that I share as well, which can be very graphic and heavy. But it's much needed to be heard in this day and age. Because, like a lot of people, I myself was not aware of how troubling and how deep this issue really was. Until I started hearing survivors and listening to the heinous and horrific things they went through. So thank you for clicking on this podcast and listening to these stories. While I know they're deep and disturbing, we need to know what goes on with the victims and survivors and what they went through. So that we can try to identify the problem And then we can figure out how to solve the problem. My podcast is not for the light of heart. It's not for the faint-hearted at all. It's not for anybody with a weak stomach. These stories will change you mentally. They will make you question your faith. They will make you wonder, why is it that the systems that are in place do not protect children and do not give justice to survivors? And that's what I want it to do. I want it to make you think. I want it to make you go and be curious enough to do the research as well. And to go out there and seek the answers and find the truth to all of this. Because somebody has to. I myself is just a man who was tired of seeing these babies being harmed. And from there, it grew. And I found out so many different traumas that I never knew existed. So thank you for joining me on this journey. Thank you for clicking on this episode. Thank you for supporting me. It does mean a lot, and it's much appreciated. And I'm glad to know that since I've started this journey, there are so many individuals out there that care about protecting children and helping survivors like I do. With that, here's the latest episode. 
Hey everybody, this is Jeremy with the Manapart Podcast. This is going to be episode 74, titled Mama Bear, Part 1. So before I start off and everything, I want to let everybody know ahead of time that there were some audio issues in this interview, and I did the best I could with what I have, um, but just stick through it, listen to it. For the most part, it's pretty solid, and I think I edited out what I needed to and kept in there all the important stuff as well. Um... You know how it is, y'all. Sometimes this app can work really great in editing and sometimes, or, you know, in recording, I mean, and sometimes it doesn't. It just all depends on how strong the internet service is. Anyway, that being said, it's going to be a little hard for me to do right now. Um, I woke up this morning with just this humongous pain in my mouth, with just my teeth, just, I don't know. But I'm going to try my best here, y'all. So just bear with me. I got introduced to Shelby through the old foul dude. And when me and her messaged each other on TikTok and everything, got on the phone, uh, she told me this story where she ended the life of her daughter's molester. And holy shit, y'all, this is a wild story. Just the first half of the story is wild. And it just keeps getting wilder and wilder. So Shelby's going to start off with some context before the events that happened and then talk about the events that led up to that fateful night in Georgia and how she ended up killing the man that molested her five-year-old daughter, y'all. Her five-year-old daughter. All right. Keep that in mind as we move forward. All right. So here's the episode. Hey everybody, so this is Jeremy with the Manapart Podcast. This is going to be my interview with Shelby, who is a mother that basically she killed a pedophile who was trying to rape her five-year-old daughter. Shelby's going to share a little bit about her life and the events that led up to that fateful night and the aftermath of what happened as well. So Shelby, tell me how this all began, like how it all started, you know, I remember you said that you had a uh, that you that you were married prior and everything like that. How was that when it first started out? Um, it was good at first, and then it became really abusive, uh, mentally um, and physically abusive. Um, I stayed for seven years, and I left at least seven times within those seven years. Um, yeah, trying to escape the abuse and each time I would be um, talked back into coming back and thought that everything was going to be okay and it just progressively got worse so you always hear that you should not go back to the abuser because it gets worse and it it really does they never change how um what what did he do that was abusive well um at the beginning uh there was a lot of abuse. Um, if, if I wasn't, if I didn't want to, um, have sexual intercourse, I was made to, because like I said, if I didn't want to have sexual intercourse with him, I was made to. Um, and initially I just adapted, just take it, you know, um, I was also raising his three kids. And in that meantime, he was actually having an affair with his ex-wife. I tried to leave him then, um, 
And we were so far away from my family and had I had no transportation, so I had no other choice but to stay. I was going to say you didn't have any resources or anything like that to be able to to be able to leave independently from him, right? Right. Uh, no, he, I wasn't allowed to work. Um, I, my main job was to stay home, take care of the house and the kids and take care of him, whatever he needs he had. Um, and just to put up with the abuse. Um, initially, what he did at first was, you know, um, take sex if he wanted it. And I was made to not say anything. And then cheating, I wasn't allowed to even care. I was not allowed to voice my opinion because it would be shut down with a whole bunch of screaming abuse, which would be pushing me against the wall and grabbing me by my neck and threatening to kill me and stuff like that. Yeah, that's fucking wrong. That's fucking heinous. So you tried to leave about six or seven times and everything like that in the course of seven years. What happened like the last time? Like what was the final straw? What was the one where you were like, nope? I'm done. This is it. And how, how are you able to kind of, you know, get out of that situation then? The last time that I left him, um, I packed up while he was at work and uh, I planned to leave him because the abuse got so bad that he was actually, he had pulled a knife on me. Um, he had tried to poison me. I don't know exactly what he tried to poison me with. Um, I do know that, uh, he got really abusive towards my children. Um, and I, as a child, you know, I'm not going to go too deep, but I was not protected against abuse. Yeah. And I did not want to stand by and watch my kids. I'm, I'm not going to stand by and watch my kids be abused in any way. It started from there. He came home early, asked me what I was doing. I told him I was leaving. The craziness started screaming at me, calling me names um, and standing in my way when I tried to leave, um, making my kids really upset by screaming at me and just charging at me. Um, he would run up on me like he was going to hit me. Initially, I told him, you know, you're not going to do anything to me. Um, then right. he pulled a knife, another knife out on me and the craziness started. So I, I just got my kids and got in the car and I headed to my mom's house, which was two and a half hours away, driving, driving a car that he had wrecked, but I made it. <laughs> yeah. And, um, <clears throat> let's see. And I, I went no contact with him when I went to my mom's house. If he wanted to talk to the kids, that was fine. I let him do that. Um, only yeah. on my terms, uh, he would only call late at night. So, you know, if my kids are in bed, no, you're not talking to them. I'm not waking them up. You know what times they should be in bed and you know what times to call. After he realized that I went no contact, um, it had been about almost a month, but not quite a month. He committed suicide. I think that he did that because he lost all control. He realized that he could not control me anymore. Um, and I think, quite frankly, he was upset with himself because he couldn't have that control. Yeah. Um, after he did commit suicide, um, I contacted his family. When I found out, I tried to tell them that he actually took his life. His sister didn't quite believe me at first, so I had to have the detective call her. So whenever um, his fam family uh, realized that uh, it was not a sick joke, 
that he was actually gone. Uh, they drove all the way from Florida to Savannah to uh, initially rob the house. Uh, they they did. They took whatever they wanted that was his. He owned a tree service company, so they took most of those belongings too. And then after that, it had been about a year, and then I met um, met up with a high school boyfriend. We rekindled our relationship and um, initially moved in together after a few months of dating. We had been together about seven months, and I initially got tired of my children being bullied by his child, his mental abuse. He was very mentally abusive. Um, I was not allowed to wear makeup. I was not allowed to uh, go out without him. I, he would pick things like, uh, you know, the lint in the dryer. He would pull yeah. the lint out of the dryer and he'd say, you know, make sure you get the lint out the dryer. I was only allowed to wash clothes once, once a week for four kids and two adults. That's not enough. <laughs> yeah. No and, shit. Especially with kids. Yeah. I and, mean, uh, once a week. Yes, it was, it, it was very, um, he's very adamant on me, uh, actually helping pay bills too. And which I did because, you know, me and my kids lived there. Um, and it got to the point where I was buying all the groceries and I was providing, um, groceries and helping him with his child, my kids, and it still wasn't enough. Um, yeah. I'd remember this one instance, um, that it was it was late at night, but he had actually made a comment on I didn't do enough, and um, he pulled the chair from up under the table, and I had been through a situation where the table was flipped over, the chairs were thrown, and it started like turmoil, screaming, and uh, it did scare me when he pulled the chair out and pointed out the stickiness on the floor because. I've been in the situation with my ex where he pulled out a chair and, you know, he would make me get on my hands and knees and clean that. Yeah. Um, the next day I did leave him um, because if I'm not doing enough, then obviously, you know, I'm trying my hardest. We went yep. at least four months. We broke up and then he talked me back into coming back and my kids called him daddy. So, you know, I, I tried to, fixed that. I thought he had and that he would try to fix it. So after I went back to him, um, it had been about two weeks, not even maybe three. And um, his dad never liked me. Um, and I think he, he did what he did to basically hurt me. But I found out that he actually was the cause of all the drama by, by me not cleaning enough. Was he, um, was he like just, he was just trying to stir up shit and everything and, and say, Oh, this yeah. ain't, this ain't done right. And oh, you need, you need to get her to get on her ass and get her to clean this, that and the other. Yes. Apparently I, yeah. it, because I was not on my feet all day, cleaning, 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 um, that it was a problem. And mind you, when I had went back to him, I actually had a job then. So not only was I going to work every day, taking care of four kids, that includes he and coming home, cooking, cleaning, taking care of the kids and getting ready for the next day. This still wasn't yeah. enough, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Um, he became very distant 
when I moved back in with him, I think initially what he was doing is to use me to help pay bills and to help, you know, as a free baby. Yeah. Um, I, I remember uh, on the night that everything happened with my daughter, it uh, it was really late at night. I had uh, had I had two drinks after my kids went to bed and wow. I put them in their room, which was right across the room from his dad's room. And on that particular night, the son, which was the guy I was dating, um, we're gonna call him. We're just gonna call him brother because there's two brothers in the story. We're gonna call him brother A, your ex boyfriend. Yes, yeah. brother A decided he, he didn't want to sleep in the bed with me. He wanted, um, yes, he did not want to sleep with me. He slept in his son's room, which was right beside um, his dad's room. And my kids were in a room right across the hall from his dad's room. Um, I now can, can I can I stop you real quick? Uh, yes. So so the dad was living with y'all yes. as well. All right, and we're gonna call him Mr. E. Uh-huh. Uh, all right, so Mr. E was living with y'all and everything like that. How long was he living with? Like, was he already there when you moved in with your kids and everything like that the first time, or was he there yes. afterwards on the second? Okay. Yes, he was there the entire time. Um, they they lived together for quite a while before I even came in the picture. Now, did Mr. E have a wife or anything like that, or or was he just single? Well, his wife had died two years prior to me meeting them, um, so uh, he was dating. Was the girlfriend ever around or anything like that, or, or they just did their no. own thing? Yeah, I never met her. Um, she never was around. He did talk about her. Um, he said that she was much younger than him, and that um, actually she she called him daddy, and he had a whole conversation with me about that. It was very weird. I'd, he never had any conversation with me besides right then. And that was very, very weird. I, I had to end that conversation was like, okay, and just walk away. Yeah, that's that's kind of odd that that's 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 the conversation he wants to like he never tried to get to know who you are or anything about you and your past or anything like that. No. Um he did know that um, you know, my kid's father committed suicide. Um, yeah. And I initially, I, you know, that might have been the reason why he felt like he was OK to do what he did to my baby, because there was no male figure around to protect them. Yeah. And um, So on that to... night. So, yeah, back, back to on that night, uh, you had you had you had like two drinks. Your kids were already in bed and everything like that. He was in the room across from your uh, from your from your room, your daughter. I mean, your daughter's room. Right. Mm-hmm. My son and my yeah. daughter, they're both little. So I put one bed on one side and another bed on the other side. And they both slept in there. And I had my little one with me in the in the master bedroom. And um, yeah. I had already put my kids to bed. And we had at the kitchen table. Um, and um, his the brother A um and bro, uh, and Mr. E were having a conversation, but Brother A would let Mr. E talk. Um, and then he actually called my daughter a psycho on that particular night. And uh, me being me, I, I leaned back in my chair and was like, really? And uh, the Brother A decided, oh, okay, I'm ready to go to bed. Uh, I didn't, he had acted very weird that night. Uh, yeah. 
I had uh, left the house uh, because he was very wasted before his son got home because his son had uh, um, brother A had taken his son to meet his mom so he could spend time with his mom. So it was just me and my kids. Um, I, I do not like getting, uh, drunks or alcoholics, um, their yeah. attitude. And I, I initially get really scared because you, I don't really know what is going to be done. Um, so right. me and my kids, we went into town, bought McDonald's. We uh, came back and I noticed that his demeanor was off, but I was like, he's just drunk. So I let my kids eat. Um, I didn't find this out until after everything happened with my baby. But she said that this man had taken food out of her mouth and uh, put it in his. And then she said that he had put his finger in her mouth. I was dealing with other two kids. I had actually stepped outside to smoke and I came back in. He didn't show me any telltale signs um, to be worried. So, you know, it was, I didn't have any clue. And right. uh, so now, now the whole the food thing and everything like that, it, you weren't around when that happened, though. He, he did that like when you weren't there, like when yes, you were sending to your other kids. I, yes. So y'all go get McDonald's and everything like that. And then you're tending to some of your other kid, you know, your, your other kids and everything. And then he's trying to take food out of her mouth and put it in his and then put his finger in her mouth and shit like that. And then. Um, mm-hmm. you get you get them all to bed and everything like that. You don't know all this all this happened is going on, and then you're then you're sitting there, basically from what you were telling me was like having drinks with uh with brother A and Mister E, and then yes. called your daughter a psycho. How now? Then that conversation, how'd that go about? Like like why would they, like why would he say your daughter was a psycho? So he he was very drunk and he sat back in his chair and he's like, I like her. And that should have been my sign. But he said, I like her. I said, okay. He said, I w- he, he couldn't think of the word psycho. And he was like, yeah, she's a, she's psycho or something like that. Um, my daughter was very much excited, like to get McDonald's. She was jumping around, you know, having yeah. her a good time. She had just turned five. She's still a baby. And yeah. she just she was being a kid, you know, bouncing around, laughing, playing, and, uh, yeah, I guess that's the reason why he called her a psycho. I thought it was okay to call her a psycho. Um, but brother, uh, a decided he was ready to go to bed because he kept cutting his dad off. Mr. E, I don't know what, what Mr. E was trying to say, but he kept cutting him off. It's like yeah. they had conversation without me and he knew what he was about to say. Gotcha. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so after, we had all went to bed and his son got in his brother, uh, his, his brother, a had gotten his son's bed and Mr. E had was in his bed. Um, I had heard a slight cry and I, you know, I went to go check on my kids. My, my baby girl was not in her bed. Um, and she clinged to the boyfriend, um, brother a, so I went to go check and see if she was with him. She wasn't. Initially, at that moment, my mind kind of went there, but I wasn't going to accuse anybody. I just wanted to know where the hell is my child. Yeah. And uh, I woke him up, banging on the walls, turning on lights, asking him, where the hell is my daughter? Where the F is my daughter? And he acted confused. Um, 
initially when I started banging on the wall, his dad fumbled around in his room. Um, I'm not sure if he fell or if he was just trying to get the hell out of there. Um, so he comes out of his room with nothing but his underwear on. And he looks at me right in my face at the end of the hallway and says, she just, she just stumbled in my room. At that point, I kind of knew, but I wanted to see it. So I went in his room, flicked on the light, and my baby's girl is laying there with her pants down in a fetal position with her arms up, not saying a word, just crying and call, calling me for mama, mama, mama. So um, when I noticed all that, I did check her and make sure she was okay, and I knew then what was going on. The, the dad, Mr. E, had locked himself in the bathroom. I told my baby girl to sit right there on the bed, and um, I went in the bathroom, and I confronted him. I said, you raped my daughter, um, and he didn't try to, uh, you know, defend Denied. himself. Yeah. yeah. He didn't try to defend himself. He just stood there and looked at me like I was crazy, and I was crazy, to say the least. And yeah. um, Did he look like he was worried, like, oh, shit, I'm caught? Like mm -hmm. that kind of looks, yeah. It was a oh shit! I got caught, and I was it, screaming at him in his face. Um, um, we were nose to nose, and I had my finger in his forehead and saying, "You raped my effing daughter," and I said it about two or three times, and then I walked out of the bathroom. Oh, let me take this back. Okay, so when I walked in and saw my daughter in his dad's bed, Mr. E's bed, I called mm -hmm. Brother A. I said, why the F is my daughter in your dad's bed with her pants down? He walks in. He sees it. He does nothing. He runs to the bathroom with his dad, and all he keeps saying is, Dad? Dad? He, he didn't say why. He didn't ask questions. He just walked around and said, dad, um, at that point, when I had walked out of the bathroom the first time, um, I'd lost it. You know, you hurt my baby. And yeah. I asked his son several times to call the police and his son would not. And I told him, I said, if you don't call the police, I'm going to kill this motherfucker. Yeah. Uh, and I guess he thought I was joking or that I was just going to go to bed and forget it all. Um, and, and I was not, um, my my baby was in uh, the master bedroom and my son was still in the be kids bedroom. Yeah. So um, when I walked out of the bathroom, I call. I told him to call the police. He wouldn't and all that. I told him I was going to kill him. And I walked straight to the kitchen and grabbed a knife. And um, I, 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 I pushed my way into the bathroom because he shut me halfway. Um, I was halfway in and halfway out and, um, I stabbed him right where he stood. Um, he did not yeah. try to fight me. He didn't try to fight me off or anything. Um, he knew, he knew what he'd done was wrong and, and he ultimately paid for it. Yeah. I mean, in, in that moment and everything like that, what were you thinking about? My baby. Because my daughter was born at 26 weeks. She had literally fought for her life. And I watched my baby fought, fight for her life when she was in the NICU. Being born that small, you, there's a high possibility that they will not make it. So I remember, you know, I, I had flashbacks of when she was in the NICU and when she, 
you know, her lungs collapsed in the NICU and they had to go in and do surgery and all of this. And, you know, she had just been through a lot already. And then you hurt her on top of that. Um, I didn't find this out until afterwards that before he picked my daughter up out of her bed, that um, he graced his fingers over my daughter, over my son's head before he picked up my daughter. It's kind of weird i guess he thought he was going to be next i don't i don't know um my daughter told me that uh she didn't know what was going on that she was halfway asleep when he picked her up out of the bed and she said that uh he almost dropped her because he was drunk and she said that he squeezed her really tight he was like he she he was gonna squeeze me he squeezed me so hard mom and um then that's when he took her to his bed and I asked her I said what what happened like what did he do to you she told me that he used his fingers and um that he had um assaulted her um yeah in that manner um and actually asonomized her with his fingers I don't know if that's the right term yeah uh, yeah I mean I think the audience can understand that and everything like that we don't have to go yeah, because I mean, I, that's a hard thing to talk about. But yeah, so he he pretty much, you know, molested and abused and raped her and everything like that. Yeah. Um. What else does she remember in that in those moments? She says uh, that whenever she would cry when he was doing that to her, he'd squeeze her really tight. And then she said he said that he was going if she said anything. And if she didn't hush, that he was going to kill everybody um, in my family, which was me and my kids. So she's ha- so he's threatened to kill everybody and everything like that to get her to be quiet, so he can try to do what he do to her, and, so he can do what he did to her. Yes. And then, and when when she, I guess when she started crying and everything like that, that's when that's when you picked up and heard and everything to go check on her. Yes. What um, what what does she remember after that point? Like before before, after he did that, and before she before you found her in the bed and everything was, um, um, was it, Oh yeah. Was there anything else that happened? No. Um, okay. he didn't, um, nobody consoled my daughter, but me, uh, you would think that the boyfriend would console my daughter and take care of the whole situation and get yeah. us some help, but he didn't. Um, she, the only thing she says is that she was scared and that, um, it hurt. And, um, they remember my kids say that they uh, remember seeing me with the knife and that the brother was holding me by my shoulders. And um, apparently I had thrown him down the hallway um, to go inside the bathroom. Yeah. That, you know, when I walked in the bathroom, I, I didn't, I don't know if I should say what I said to him, but should I? Yeah, you can go ahead and say it. Okay, well, I told him I'll see him in hell. I said, I'll see you in hell, motherfucker. And I and I stabbed him um, in his heart. And um, I dropped the knife right where I stood. Um, I only stabbed him once. Um, And I walked out. And when I walked out of the bathroom, I got all my kids to the master bedroom to get them dressed to uh, get ready to go. And his son was still standing there like he was confused about what happened, even though he saw my daughter in his dad's bed with her pants down. He knew what was yeah. going on. Um, 
I called the police myself. I got my phone. I called him myself, handed him the phone because I was not mentally there and I could not remember the address to save my life. And um, when he got the phone, uh, before I gave it to him, I said, you need to tell them the yeah, I killed your fucking dad or some something like that. And um, he didn't say anything to the operator right then or the dispatcher. He went to the bathroom and said, dad, and realized that, you know, I stabbed him. When once he saw his dad in the bathroom after I stabbed him, he ran with my phone. So I didn't know if he was telling them to send ambulance. I didn't know if they were he was telling them to come help. <clears throat> the only thing I had on my mind at that point was to get my baby help. So yeah. I got him all dressed, packed me a diaper bag because my baby, my little one was still in diapers and got them all dressed. And we, we went outside. I put them all in the car. And as I was turning around to get in the driver's door, um, Brother B came and sh fired shots at me and um, ran up to me, put a gun to my head in front of my kids. I, I don't think I'll ever forget them, the way they were crying and, you know, their little hands on the window um, yeah. and screaming my name, Mama, Mama, and just crying. He did not care. Um, I actually had asked him to do me a favor and uh, off me because I told him, put me out of my misery. Please do the Please do it. Because losing their dad to com he committed suicide. And now this, it was just a lot. It, it, it was yeah. a lot to endure and take on. And I, I didn't know how to deal with it. And um, when he heard the, uh, the sirens from the police pulling up in the yard, he ran in the house and yeah. initially I believe that's when he decided he was going to dress his dad because at no point while I was dealing with, uh, Mr. E, he had, had no pants on. Yeah. So, so I initially, yeah. So he, <laughs> so he goes and dresses his dad up and everything like that. Now, brother B, uh, what was your interactions with like with him before all this happened? Like what like apparently he 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 did he did he drive up into the yard or did he walk up into the yard? Was he did he live nearby or something like that? Yes, he lived nearby. He um there was a field between the two houses. So all he had to do was go in that field and he'd come right to the back door, which was where I was and me and my kids. Yeah. Um so he, after he heard the sirens, he uh, ran inside, and I think that's when he dressed his dad. Um, <coughs> uh, did you ever? Did you ever have any good inter interactions with him prior to all this? Like, what? Like, did you ever? Did you ever? Did y'all ever like hang out or get to know him or anything like that? Or was it just kind of like he was always working and y'all always working and y'all was just kind of you know le leading y'all's busy lives and everything? Well. Uh, he didn't have a job, so he just stayed at home. And um, I, I mean, we had good interaction. Um, like I said, we went to high school together, brother A and brother B. So yeah. um, we knew each other, um, yeah. or so I thought. But uh, let's see. Yeah, we yeah. we really never had a conversation. Um, I he was. I didn't really like him after I found out how he treated his wife. Um, he was very abusive towards her. He actually yeah. um, put a dog collar on his wife and made her crawl around like a dog in his house. What the fuck? Um, 
Yeah. So I didn't really like him too much, but it, you know, I'm not, I, you know, if she, I can't tell her to leave, you know, because she's got to make that own decision. I I would, you know, I don't want to be in the middle of anything like that. Um, Now, if I walked in and saw something like that, then I'd say something, but I can't just point out, you know, why are you letting him treat you like this? Um, Was it like, to be, to be, I guess, fair, I guess, in a way, just to ask this question. Was it like a, a kink thing, like, like a consensual kink thing, mm-hmm. like a, like a dominate, like a dominatrix type thing, or was just like he just literally putting a dog collar on his wife and treating her like a fucking dog, like a piece of shit? So, from what I heard um, from Brother A, actually told me all this, um, that he had cheated on her and she repaid him and cheated on him. And when he found out, she came back into, and they started living together again. And um, that was his punishment to her. You know, he was making her let, let her know that she is his. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's fucking weird. I, I did I'm, look, I'm not, like, like, look, just for anybody in the audience and everything, I'm not one to kink shame people and everything like that. But uh, whether this was consensual or not, uh, that's still fucking odd to me. Just, just in my honest opinion, she was pregnant. That it was weird. Oh it wow, was, That's- yeah, she was pregnant with his first child, and um, they had actually had a um, a fight in front of me, and I'd let his brother know I don't, I don't like that shit. Um, I'm gonna keep my mouth shut because it ain't my, my business, but you know, I don't like it. And I, I had a conversations, several conversations with her about you know, what my past was with uh, abuse, which I didn't ever, you couldn't pay me to get on the floor and put a dog, a dog collar on me. You're going to have to kill me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're simply yeah. just going to have to kill me. Um, but, I, you know, I couldn't say what I knew because I didn't want nobody to think anybody was talking about them. Yeah. Um, but he did. He treated her like crap. Um, and she initially just put up with it. Uh she did. She was there. She came up. Um, okay. So whenever yeah, so, he ran. So back, yeah. So back to, so, yeah, back to that night, he comes up there. He's, he's, he pulls a gun on, he fires some shots off at you and he puts the gun to your head in front of your children. What happened? And then you, you ask him to put him, put, put you out of your misery and everything like that. What happened? And then he goes, when the cops come into the house, he starts putting the pants on his dad and everything. What happens after that moment? So I left my kids in the car. Um, probably the dumbest thing I've ever done. I will regret that for the rest of my life. But I left my kids in the car and I ran straight to the police officer. That was the first police officer that pulled up. And um, I told him he has a gun. Go get my kids. My kids are in the car. And he said he asked me, like, who stabbed who? Uh, what's going on? You know, and I, I briefly told him you know he he raped my daughter and um i lost it and i i stabbed him right and um whenever uh i told him all that he opened up the back door of his uh, police car and i got in um he didn't even have to cuff me i knew what i had done and i and actually going back to when i was in the master bedroom with all three of my kids i got down on my knees i knew what i'd done and I actually told his son before he ran away, I said, I'm going to serve the rest of my life in prison because your dad raped my daughter. Um, 
And I just got down on my knees and I told all my kids, you know, mommy loves you. You know, mommy would do anything in this world to protect you. And they all looked at me in my face and yes, mama. Yes, mama. And I gave them all love. I gave them all hugs. And then that's when we went outside the car and all that happened. He, when he came out of the house, he came from the back and I had already told the police officer that he had a gun. So he had told him to put his hands up and, you know, pull his shirt up, make sure you didn't have no weapons on him. He, he didn't have that gun. So wherever he put that gun, I don't know. Um, I'm sure they found it. So, I mean, uh, yeah, did they ever recover the uh, pistol and everything? Um, I haven't talked to, only thing I know that um, the detective told me that I was all clear, that, that my case went to the grand jury and they, you know, had enough evidence to prove what I was saying and yeah. that um, no, no charges were brought. So yeah. I'm, I'm free and clear. Um, yeah. I don't know. I do have to, you know, I have questioned some things about everything that happened because brother A had actually lied and said that. I stabbed his dad in his sleep, which was crazy because how was he in the bathroom? And um, just a whole bunch of different stories had uh, is still circulating in this town. But um, so before we get too far ahead on that part, um, let's go back to you're in the you're in the uh, cop car and everything like that. What happens to your kids at this point? Um, So at that point, there was like eight eight police cars, ambulance, everything was in the yard. Um, the EMT, uh, they had actually went and got all three of my kids out the car. Um, apparently his wife had, uh, was there. She, um, tried to console my kids, but she actually told them your mama's going to prison for the rest of her life. Now, wait, you said his wife, whose wife? Brother B. Brother B. Okay. The, the doll collar woman. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So she goes and ten, she goes and instead of consoling your little girl that was just raped by, you know, who they who they considered Pawpaw and everything like that, um, she she's she's sitting there telling them your mom's going to prison forever. Yeah, and and my kids told me that it really angers me because she she is a mother too, and yeah, a mother to mother, I would console yours, I would hold yours, I would love on yours, um. Like I've said before to even the detective, I, you don't just walk in on something like that and not losing. And if you do, there's something wrong. But I told him it, it don't have to be my child. It could be any child. I'm not going to stand by and watch. I'm not going to stand by and not say nothing either. Yeah. So, yeah. And especially on that note, you know, a lot of parents. And I remember telling you about um, like Gary Plochet and everything down here in Baton Rouge. Um a lot of parents, they'll say they'll kill for their children. They say that they will, will, will kill any motherfucker that harms their children, everything like that. A lot say that. And then few get put in that situation. And then even fewer do what they say they're going to do. Yes. And so, I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, it, and because, you know, everybody deals with something traumatic like that. Cause that cause that's, that, that's, that's fucking traumatizing, you know. And everybody deals with trauma in different ways. Um, so, I mean, I, I you know. So in those situations, you don't know until you get put, until you get placed into them. And obviously, you know, your mind was set on protecting your baby and and all those memories that you had of seeing her struggle to 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 fight and survive and everything when she was born early and all that stuff like that, and seeing her in that state on that bed, you know, in that and just in that position and 
just crying and being hurt and everything like that, that does take a toll on any fucking parent. I mean, shit, if hell, if I'd have walked in on something like that on seeing a child, I probably would have done the same damn thing to him too. I probably wouldn't yeah. even have had a conversation with him. I probably just looked in his eyes and see that shit and just bam. So you go and you're, you're in the back of the squad car, you know, uh, brother B's wife is telling you, telling your kids you're going to prison forever. Obviously they're, they're, they're working that scene. You know, they're, they're examining the body, trying to get all the, all the information they can, trying to get all the statements they can. They take you, did they take you to the police station? Yes. What happened when you were at the police station? Um, they just, they booked me and put me in um, a cell by myself. Um, I, I wasn't, I did ask them about my kids, like, where are my kids? You know, are my kids okay? And yeah. um, I, I felt like I should have been there for her. Um, and I probably would have been, I don't know if the brother A wouldn't have lied about everything. Um, they didn't give me any information. They just put me in the cell. Um, I sat in there overnight the next morning. Um, I, they came and got me and took me into the interview room. Um, and they, uh, the detective, the sheriff, everybody was in there, GBI, um, asking me, you know, what happened? And I told him he hurt my baby. Um, and they were telling me that, you know, what brother A has said didn't match up and, um, that, that he was just looking, making me look batshit crazy. And, yeah. um, and I told him, I said, that's not what happened. He walked in, he saw my baby in his dad's bed with her pants down and it's not what happened. He knows what happened. And, um, they, they, you know, they let me go that day because my, my emotions were very much real in that room. And yeah. they, I think they knew. Yeah. And, um, I did ask the detective, I said, I got one question. He said, what's that? And I said, am I going to be able to raise my kids? He said, I can't give you an answer. He said, they're going to turn it over to a grand jury. But what I can tell you is it wasn't intent. You didn't intend to do it. You didn't plan it, you know. Yeah. And that's all I had to go off of. And for months, I worried, you know, are they going to come pick me up at some point? Are they going to believe the lies, you know? And um, they had actually taken my daughter to go get an exam done where, you know, they take all the evidence in and yeah. out. And um, from the, all those evidence, I, th I think they made their the right decision because, you know, I was just a mother protecting her child. And you, you we protect our offspring just like animals. Yeah. You know, you can't go up and take a baby puppy or, you know, expect the mom not to get angry. You can't right. hurt, a, hurt an animal. You know, it's our offspring. For several months, I did. I worried that, you know. I was going to go to prison for the rest of my life. I worried if the, the, every, you know, the grand jury is going to make the, the right decision because I was worried that they wouldn't have a mama either. And I knew what I'd done, but I also knew what he done was not right. Um, right. I feel like any pedophile just, they're not rehabilitating. You know, they can't, you don't just wake up in one day and decide, okay, I'm not going to, I'm not going to find children attractive or, I'm not going to do that anymore. Holy shit, right, y'all? What a story. And that's just part one. Stay tuned next week for part two. If you, if you enjoyed listening to this episode or you found it 
insightful or you got something out of it, share it. Share it on all your social media platforms. Spread the word out. Tell people about this podcast. It really does help and it helps it grow. Out of all the cases I've ever found out about, all the cases I've ever researched or came across, I have never came across a case like Shelby's, for sure. So, like I mentioned, Gary Ploche, and I'm, and there's also Marianne Bachmeyer. Those are two parents who did something very similar to what Shelby did, except for the fact that in Gary Ploche and Marianne Bachmeyer's case, um, it was premeditated. On top of that, they both were convicted. Even though Gary didn't spend any jail time or anything like that or prison time, Marianne spent three out of her six that she was sentenced for. Shelby didn't even make it past grand jury. So that's something, that is something to praise. Good job on the Georgia justice system for that one. <clears throat> but yeah, stay tuned next week for part two. And please share this out. It really does help a lot, y'all. Thank you. Y'all have a good day. Remember, the Bowman see, and the Bowman never forget. Much love. We must carry on. <laughs>